Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are the Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery. I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be talking, Rob. It's good to see you, Paul. And welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Dental Amigos. Uh, Here we are, Paul, you know, full-fledged into season two, talking about associate agreements from a practice owner's perspective. Super important topic. Yeah. You know, so we flip the the script, so to speak, uh, and uh, talking about it from the employer's standpoint for these few episodes. So today we're going to talk about 1099 versus W-2. So what we're talking about is, are you uh, hiring and paying your associates, I'm not gonna use the word employee, but associates as an independent contractor, which is commonly referred to as 1099, which is the tax reporting form that you have to file with the government when you have somebody who is an independent contractor versus a W-2, which is an employee, and a W-2 being the reporting document. As someone who's run a Facebook group for five years, a lot of discussion on this on the boards. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Dentists always want to play accountant. I don't know if do accountants want to play dentist. I don't know. Do Uh, they? (laughs) uh, Probably not, but uh, they they might if they could. Um, But uh, it's funny you say that because uh, let's just lead off by saying that it's not up to the practice to decide whether or not this person is associate is an independent contractor or an employee. Yeah, uh, you can slap the label on them. You can give them an independent contractor agreement or an employment right. agreement, but just because you, as the practice owner, have bestowed that label on the associate, does not mean for right. legal and tax purposes that that is accurate and correct. I like to say this. Uh, I. Uh, even though you don't think, Rob, I've driven a car many times. Not once have they asked me to set the speed limit, right? <laughs> so I go on the side of the road, I see the speed limit, yeah. and I can adhere or not adhere. But if someone stops me, I don't say, oh, but I wanted it to be 65, not 55. They said, we don't care. You're going over the speed limit. So. Dr. Going, do you know how fast you're driving? I was driving the speed limit. I was driving 85 miles an hour, right? <laughs> right yes. I, I, hear, I deem this to be what it, what it should be. Um, but that's but that it's, we're laughing about, but it's true. And I think yeah. people need to realize that right off the bat, this is not up to not up to the practice, yeah. right? There are laws and regulations that decide, or at least you know, set the parameters for whether or not an associate yeah. is um, is is classified as uh, as an employee or an independent contractor. And I think you know, we'll start with the obvious that a lot of times uh, a practice owner. Uh, thinks that this is a way to save money, right? Maybe because if they are an independent contractor, that means that you don't have to withhold and match FICA, Social Security, yeah. and Medicare. Uh, as an independent contractor, you also don't typically have to pay any kind of fringe benefits, so yeah. they are exempt from 
health insurance and retirement plans, which all that sounds like a great way to save money, which usually when you're dealing with the tax authorities, Paul, they don't like loopholes. Yes, right. right. So if this is a great way to save money, I think you have to just anticipate that there's probably somebody in the government that thinks that that's not a good idea. Right, exactly. Uh, so that's that's the motivation a lot of times to, to go this route. And I think a lot of times, too, we hear where associates think it's a good thing because I can run all of my expenses right. through. Well, you know, not really. Right, not, exactly. That's not true either. Uh, you know, just uh, because you may run those through, again, that doesn't mean that it's right or that if you ever uh, were audited that the government may decide and that. I, and what I want to share, too, right. Rob, in a moment, you know, as a practice owner, I was an associate one day myself, like, Here's a, here's a question I have for him. What expenses, right? Because like you're out yeah. of your residency, you get your first job making $150,000 a year. What sort of giant business have you built out of that where you're going right. to be running expenses? So it's just to add to the practice owner understanding that, you know, you may be going into it with thinking that's a help to maybe your associate, but they really don't have a lot of expenses to run through at that time. Not legitimate ones. Yeah, not legitimate ones. Yeah. Right. And we talked about some of these issues during the associate season from the associate's perspective. But I think, you know, you're not always doing them a favor by, right. you know, not withholding uh, taxes. But it comes down to that, really, that it's 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 a, uh, we'll call it a strategy, in yeah. quotes, Paul, yeah, quotes. Uh, to try to avoid having to pay that 7.5% plus the, um, uh, the benefits. So when we talk about whether or not an associate is uh, a 1099 or a W-2. Again, we're talking about the government and tax authorities propose uh, propound regulations that say this is how we determine yeah. that. So at the federal level, we're talking about the IRS. And then there are issues at the state level where yeah. state departments of taxation or revenue set their requirements. So there's really two sort of parallel yeah. tax authorities here that we're dealing with. The, the IRS has their famous 20 point test. Yeah. Right? Sounds very IRS y to me. That it sounds is. like it. If it I'll say they were it. at 15 points. Like we got to get five more points right. here. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Not 21, uh, 20. And, uh, and so, and, and with that, it's somewhat flexible. It's not like if you meet one that you're totally done or yeah. if you uh, are only satisfying, you know, two that you're, you're okay. Um, but a lot of these things are somewhat intuitive, you know, and so, you know, you can see this if you Google uh, IRS uh, 20 factor test for yeah. independent contractor. Form um, SS-8. <laughs> there you go. And um, I think, you know, it, it, we, we refer to sometime around here and Anna likes to say, you know, if it, if, it, uh, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it flies like a duck, yeah. it sounds like a duck, it's probably a You're duck. You're right, exactly. I think we all kind of have an intuitive sense yeah. of whether or not this associate is working as a uh, as an independent contractor or an employee. And some of the highlights on the IRS test is, you know, are, you know, do does the practice set the hours of work? Uh, do they provide the place of work? Uh, risk of loss, this is a big one. Can the associate stand you know, to, to make money or do they also have the potential of losing money? Yeah. 
And, you know, overwhelmingly, that, that's a deal killer no, right yeah, there because sure. there's no dental associate that's working in the practice who's going to lose money by virtue of, right, exactly. of this job. It's not like your IT person, which is sort of like a classic independent contractor that, yeah, they had to provide supplies and employees and they did work and they quoted this job and they ended up spending more time. It turned out to be a loser for them on that particular project. Like they do yeah. have the economic risk. Somebody that's a practicing dentist who's an associate in the practice, they can't lose money sure. on this. Yeah. And, and if I see this one here. Does the worker perform work in a sequence set by the employer? Does the worker follow a set schedule? For dental office, that's an overwhelming yes, because you know you can't show up at 3 a.m. and say you want to do a crown because you're the independent contractor. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> that wouldn't work well. You know, and but one of the tests is, you know, are they working for more than one company? Yeah at a time. And this is sort of another popular misconception that we see with a lot of practice owners that, well, you know what? This dentist, she's working at three practices. Therefore, she's an independent contractor. Right. Not necessarily. Again, this is not in and of itself definitive just because they work in multiple locations. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing that kind of goes along with that is, you know, are they working part time? You know, and, and so uh, one of the tests here is full-time work required. So if you're requiring, if they're working full-time in your practice, especially, yeah. and we'll talk about this in a minute, in a general dentistry practice, so a general dentist working full-time yeah. in a general dentistry practice, I think that's impossible, Paul. Right. I, I, don't, think they, I don't think they could check off any of the boxes. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, does that mean that you, it doesn't stop you from handing them an independent right. contractor agreement? It doesn't stop you as a practice owner from, assigning that label, it doesn't stop you from giving them a 1099. Yeah. But if the government scrutinizes this right. and and audits you, it's almost indefensible. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of times practice owners say, well, you know, either they're a full-time employee or if they're part-time, they're an independent contractor. You know, and not really. Yeah. I mean, there's also something called a part-time employee. Right. Right. And so just because they're not full-time doesn't mean that automatically they qualify as a, sure. uh, as an independent contractor. So a lot of this, you know, is sort of common sense. Like I said, if you, you know, if, if if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's probably a duck. There are certain arrangements that may be closer to plausible in our dental yeah. world. So if you, Paul, practice owner, say, hey, wouldn't it be great if two days a month we had this oral surgery group come in yeah. and do their thing? They're going to bring all their people. They're bringing right. their equipment. They're bringing their supplies. You know, the first and third Friday of every month right. is OMS day yeah, you yeah. Know, at Pennington Dental. Uh, and, and this practice comes in, uh, that oral surgeon has their own employees, yeah. you know, you're paying, they have their, their professional LLC that you're paying those expenses to, and then they pay their people accordingly. That might be an independent contract. Could fit into that. Gotcha. Similar arrangement, possibly with an orthodontist, right? Same thing. Tuesdays, the first Tuesday of the month are ortho days in my, my practice. And yeah. this orthodontist shows up with his staff, his assistants, yeah. all of his equipment, all his stuff, all his orthodontic yeah, stuff yeah. To, do, to, do that. to do ortho day. And we schedule patients to see that person that day. That might fly. But again, what doesn't fly is the general dentist right. working as a general dentist in your general dentistry practice. And what I'll jump in and say, since we're talking from the practice owner's perspective, when they are thinking, oh, I'm going to hire my first associate, my second associate, who should they be asking to help them figure this out? Both the attorney and accountant, just the accountant, just their attorney, work, you guys work together. I'm just, if, if a listener is saying, yeah. I really want to get this right, 
before I offer someone one of these agreements, who should I be talking to? Yeah, really both. You know, it should yeah. be, you should have a team, you know, and, and, um, I will tell you that most lawyers should look at this. I should say, I would hope and say, this is, this is a problem. Same thing with, with accountants. Yeah. Um, CPAs a lot of times aren't as involved with this particular issue necessarily. Yeah. I mean, they're going to report, uh, based on, what the practice tells them for the most yeah. part. So some CPAs do give more business practice advice and they might put the kibosh on this. Well, as, um, as a practice owner, I'm thinking this, you know, this goes hand in hand with your associate agreement because you're spelling these things out, right. you know, in these agreements and, and it's the time to set those expectations with your associate and then kind of roll this issue into it. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 and to your point, it dictates whether or not we're, using a form of independent contractor right. agreement or a form of associate agreement. And sometimes we'll see um, uh, contracts where we're reviewing an associate agreement for somebody uh, who's engaged our firm, and it'll say at the top, independent contractor agreement. And then it'll use throughout the phrase, shall employ, employee, employed, <laughs> can terminate the employment. We're yeah. like, well, they're not even really doing a good job at trying to camouflage right, this. Yes, exactly. Right? You know, the only thing they've done here is they've slapped that label at the top of the document. And and again, it's it's the form, it's the substance over the form. My guess is if you are audited, you can't just say, but the top of my form said independent exactly. contractor. I don't right. think that flies. Well, you're, you're kind of like holding up the contract, right? When you can only see the top, yeah, yeah. right? And you're covering <laughs> yeah, the rest yeah, of the yeah. agreement with your hand. Like, yeah, yeah. Hey, what's under that? Not, not right. nothing. Exactly. Nothing. Uh, Good can point. I see that, sir? No, no, yeah, no. Yeah. It says independent contractor here. Uh, so, um, you know, know that, that that's, you know, obviously you don't have the ability to, to dictate that. So, you know, then the question is, well, so what? You yeah. know, like what what happens? You know, like what's the worst thing that can happen to me? And you know, it kind of all depends. Um, the uh, there are potentials, potential liability at the federal level, tax level, uh, and then there's potential liability at the state level. At the federal level, most notably, you have failure to withhold penalties, so you file your form. 941 as an employer yeah. or your payroll company does. And that's where you say, we paid our employees X number of dollars and we withheld Social Security and Medicare from their check and we matched it here and here's our, our tax return and, and this is how much um, this is how much is due. Uh, but if you don't withhold properly, then you as the employer are responsible for that. Gotcha. So the risk here of misclassification is with the employer, with gotcha. a caveat that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But it's it's the employer who's who's at risk. So the federal government could say, you haven't uh, paid these taxes, you haven't remitted you know, Social Security and Medicare, you haven't matched it, and therefore we're going to penalize you. And the penalties here are, are severe. I mean, many moons ago when I was still a... Uh, uh, a litigator, I had a, uh, I should say, had a, some litigation matters because I was yeah. never fully a litigator, <laughs> at least it's been a very long time, Paul, and uh, had a client who was a victim of payroll fraud, where the payroll company was taking the money out of the client's payroll account, but they weren't sending it to the government. Oh, wow. Right? So this woman had this little mom and pop payroll company, which is why you got to be careful about not dealing yeah. with big reputable payroll companies. And so as the money was coming out, my client thought, well, payroll taxes are being paid. And then all these notices were going to a different address. So the client wasn't getting notice that gotcha. 
these payroll okay. taxes were not being paid. But the government uh, pursued enforcement action for collection of this. And I can't say exactly how quickly it was, but it was of this magnitude. The the debt with interest and penalties, it doubled in less than three years, oh, I wow. think. You know, so it goes to show this is not like when you look talk about compounding yeah, and yeah. sort of like the investment standpoint. No, when you when you're dealing with IRS interest and penalties, there's a whole nother yeah. it's it's mega Mo- compounding. Fast. Yeah. Multiple compounding. And I mean, just pointing out as the practice owner, this isn't you don't save for this. You're just it's a penalty you have to pay. Right. And it could be an expense that can be mind blowing, demoralizing all over for misclassification, where, as you said, Rob, doesn't really have much of an upside for you, just right. total risk. Exactly. I mean, maybe you save a few percentage points, you have seven and a half percent on this, but you know, the risk is there, and as you said, you, and you don't know when it's coming either. Yeah. And you know, here's the other thing. If it's a giant number and you can't pay it, well, then you know, you'll have some sort of arrangement with the IRS where you have a lien. Right. right? Now, good luck going out getting a practice loan to you know, buy new equipment to yeah. expand your practice to do a second location when you owe the IRS yeah. ninety thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars or whatever. You know, and and uh, it really stymies your ability, understandably, to get credit in that yeah, situation. I see that? So um, that's at the federal level. The state level, it's going to vary from state to state. So same thing. We've got uh, the. The states, some some states will adopt the IRS test almost verbatim. Some of them will reference it. Some of them have their own tests, uh, and states have different levels of enforcement, different yeah. uh, different pain points. So what you're looking at basically are a few different subsections there within the state. You've got the unemployment people who are not yeah. happy that because you're treating this person as an independent contractor means that there aren't contributions being made to the unemployment yeah. fund, right? Because they are not a quote unquote employee. They can audit for that fine and penalize you for that. The other place, which is sometimes even more problematic is if um, they are not on your workers comp policy. Yeah, And so that's a problem too. Same thing, interest and penalties, um, now it's coming probably from a different state agency on that. Yeah. But they they can be the whopper. I will tell you even more so than what the unemployment uh, uh, compensation board can whack you. So, for example, most recently, uh, New Jersey has passed uh, a new law or regulation dealing with the enforcement of independent contractor gotcha. uh, relationships. And it's really harsh. Um, we don't know yet kind of what the, the practical enforcement uh you know, reality will be for this, uh, but you know there are penalties that could be five, ten thousand dollars or more, and it also, in some instances, could allow the state to issue a stop work order. Jeez. Seemingly, that's if they're multiple offenses, but you know it's not clear there either. So, like again, here's another giant risk, right? right. It's out there. Um, I don't know if you know, Rob, being a practice owner, a lot of annoyances already. So you don't want to add to the plate of annoyances, to use a nacho uh, term. Yeah. And just start off the relationship and what the regular way. You know, I think, you know, one of the things I share is like, there's a lot of dramatic thinking between, den- I mean, dentists have a lot of dramatic thinking. It's not so much there's right or wrong. It's just that there's these regulations. And if you just do things the regular way, you just kind of insulate yourself from future yeah. annoyance. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, 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 and fear and worrying, because again, yeah. you don't control the timing of that. 
And then, you know, the, the same thing with uh, New Jersey is a particularly harsh place for uh, failure to put somebody on the worker's comp uh, as well. The penalties there, I forget what it's, maybe it's like a thousand or more dollars a yeah. day. It's something nuts. You know, like if it ever happened, you'd be in trouble. And, and then, so the next question is probably for a lot of people like, well, you know what, how will they ever find out? Right. Well, let's talk about that <laughs> I mean, because that's easy too. Um, how do they find out if you terminate somebody who's an independent contractor and they go to collect unemployment, right. that employment looks and says, huh, who's this Jeff Goodman guy? Yeah, you know? right. Does he, uh, you know, uh, he's not working for Pennington Dental. We right. don't see him as an employee. He must, he's an independent contractor. Well, then, you know, Jeff Goodman, he's not real happy that he got fired. And he starts right. talking about the fact that, well, you know what? Dr. Nacho said that yeah. it's going to be better for everybody if we just treat him like an independent contractor. And now he's been terminated. He's looking for some kind of recourse. He's looking for 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 money and reimbursement yeah. from the state. And now they're going to start to do an investigation because they say, well, gee, Jeff Goodman's working six days a week as a general dentist right. in Pennington Dental, and he's somehow mysteriously an independent right. contractor. And then they come in and they start to look at that. And then when these state agencies look under the rock, Paul, they start finding other things. Right. So it's not just that one incident. Yeah. They want to see how you're dealing with everybody. And then they say, well, you're doing this with five or six different dentists because you've got a decent size operation. Like, that's not right. right. So now they start whacking you with that. Same thing if, uh, with uh, workers' comp. One of these independent contractors gets hurt at the job. Yeah. What happens? Well, now all the insurance stuff starts to play out. And they find out that, well, gee, they're not on the the workers' comp policy, um, what that's how they find out, that there's an injury, yeah. that there's a potential claim, and now you're on the hook for all So the if you do have an independent, con- contacting, independent contracting group in your office, it's important that they share with you their workman's comp, that they have workman's comp, Definitely. so that they're covering all those people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Because you have to know there's coverage somewhere, you know, and is that dispositive? No, but you're in a much better position, obviously. Well, one, knowing that there is coverage and then it looks like you are actually engaging this separate business if this separate business has its own uh, its own menu of um, of insurance coverages. So something to to keep in mind, too, again, you are the uh, the responsible party as the practice owner here for failure to do this. Sometimes practice owners will try to shift the responsibility to the associate and say the associate agrees to indemnify the practice for any liability for misclassifying that associate as an independent contractor. Sometimes that's an appropriate thing to do, depending on the relationship and the nature of it, especially we'll see that in the transition world where the seller demands to be an independent contractor post closing, like well, if you if you if you're insisting on this, then yeah. you got to be responsible gotcha. if this if this isn't right. So in that case, you know the the seller staying on as an associate post closing, it may not be unreasonable to ask them to indemnify the practice yeah. for any liability arising out of this uh, this misclassification. But as a practice owner, be careful about that in that setting, but then also if you're gonna try to do that with an associate, because if your associate who has, you know, whatever, $350,000 of student debt, who's making $140,000 a year, is responsible for indemnifying you if something yeah. comes up that are interest in penalties, well, yeah, 
the indemnification just entitles you to to seek recovery from that. Right. And it doesn't mean that you're getting paid. Right. And if the associate doesn't have the money or the wherewithal to be able to do it, it doesn't matter that you have an agreement saying that they indemnify. Right. Yeah, exactly. You're out of luck yeah, yeah. because the government doesn't say they come after you. They, they want to get paid. They like You're not able to say like, well, don't come after me. That associate right, yeah. said they would indemnify me. And it's like, no. You, Doc, will pay. It's up to you to go chase after yeah. that person who may not have two dimes to rub together. Right. So it's kind of the same thing like when we see that indemnification in the uh, <coughs> malpractice world where it's like, well, we're not going to cover your, have our own malpractice for the, for the practice. We'll rely on the associate's uh, malpractice and they'll have to name us as an additional insured. Well, what if they can't under the policy? Right. Well, they were supposed to. They've breached the contract. Well, that's great. You now don't have malpractice coverage. Right. So, yeah, so a- just because you're relying, trying to push the the responsibility off on somebody else, doesn't mean that they're actually going to be able to deliver. Right? Yeah. And if totally. they can't stand up and stand behind that, it doesn't matter that you've got that in writing. You know, you're out of luck from a financial. Are you standpoint. seeing most of the time when you're working with these? agreements, are you seeing more employee agreements in general than independent contractor ones? Yeah, we do. Is yeah. it, It's sort of the, the theme or the trend is moving towards this because it's very hard, like you talked about in the beginning of the podcast, to fulfill this checklist yeah. and for it to make sense. And, and I'm assuming most practice owners, when you share this with them, get it and say, I see they are employees. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, way back in the day, I think there was more of this. It was probably easier to get away with it. But really over the last, say, 10, eight to 10 years, you know, the federal government and other state state agencies have really come out and said, yeah. like, we're not going to tolerate this. Yeah. You know? And so I think enough people now have kind of heard it, advisors, lawyers, CPAs to say, like, don't do that. Yeah. You know, it's a bad, it's a bad idea. You may get yourself in trouble. But you know, Paul, I know dentists. Yeah. There are dentists are tinkerers by nature yeah. sometimes. And there are there are those that would like to try to figure out ways to game the system and they just can't resist the temptation yeah. of trying to do this in a different way than what everybody else is doing. This does kind of go for this is mainly for practice owners. And as much as I love running a great online community, it goes to why you just don't go on a Facebook group and say, can someone give me their template contract for my right. associate? I mean, you know, I think this is what you got to say to them, Rob, if someone says this, say, what if I just showed up with another patient's treatment plan? Could I just get their work done? And they say, that's crazy. We'll say, that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, right? Uh-huh. But Rob Montgomery doesn't need three crowns. Well, I took his treatment plan. Isn't it the same? He's a, He's got a mouth, right? <laughs> right? And I think that's, you know, I think there's cheapness and naive, being naive are the two different things. So if you're a practice owner, don't be either of those things. Yeah. You know, maybe you're naive and say, oh, I'll just get a template agreement from my friend Bill for his his or her, you know, his associate. And uh it just doesn't work out that way. These all have to be customized to fit your practice needs. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. And you know, and if you are using an independent contractor agreement that your buddy used for that, we'll call him the traveling oral yeah. surgeon, uh, and now you're going to take that and slap it on a, uh, a three day a week general dentist who's working in your general dentistry yeah. practice, you're uh, maybe asking for trouble for sure. All right. Well, as always, uh, everyone, the, what's the takeaway, Paul? Is uh, Get good advice. Yeah, you know, build a team and 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 ask them and consult with them and then and and listen to them. Yeah, right. right? Exactly. Uh, when they tell you what you need to do to to be compliant and stay out of trouble. And as always, everyone, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. It's always fun chatting, Paul. And everybody, if you enjoyed today's episode, please go on the usual podcast places and give us yeah, a share good some review. nice things. Thanks, Rob. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on thedentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.